On today's episode, we escape to the streets of Triana as Victor recaps his experience of the magical world we live in. Next, we explore podcasting in a pandemic and discuss freedom in confinement. I'm Victor Green. And I'm Grant Mongin. And this is That Free Lunch. Right, let's do this again. A little different this time. Uh, I told myself that money would never be a factor. Now I'm laughing at Cantando, a true story written and narrated by Victor Green. So it was around 11 in the morning. I'm about a five-minute walk away from the famous Triana Market when a small boy runs away from his mother right towards me to show me something hidden in his balled-up fist. The Triana Market, that's the same site of the old castle of St. Jorge, headquarters and prison for the Spanish Inquisition. Now, I'm there because a Google search led me to some travel guide that told me I could not leave Sevilla before experiencing the horrible history. But I'm hungry. I just biked over from Sevilla to Triana, so I decide to get some breakfast first. So I pop by this spot, order my coffee, ham and cheese sandwich, and I start eating my breakfast at the bar standing like the locals. But I love people watching, and there's this great view. So I decide to go outside where I can sit, and that's when the boy sees me. I'm listening to a group of teenage Degrassi girls eating and chatting about whatever, just a few tables down from me. And across the street, I'm captivated by a picture of an old man on a peeling pink and orange building staring back at me with a fixed smile. He wears a handlebar mustache. His name? Manuel Carriedo Perez. He's framed on the wall of El Patio Bodega next to a mural of flamenco dancers. I translate. Born in 1867, He was first deputy mayor of Sevilla and an example of those who loved Triana as their homeland, defending her with selfless generosity. And he saw it all. He watched the small boy run into my table right when I was given the last bits of my breakfast to a small congregation of pigeons. He watched me look at the boy's fist stuck in the air. Hola. The boys chomping on some candy or something and keeps his arms stuck out there like a branch, stuck in the air and still. But he never opens his fist. It's just frozen, waiting, like he was waiting for me to give him a fist bump. But as soon as I begin to move my hand towards his hand, he hears someone approaching us playing music. 
There's a lone guitarist casually walking down the middle of the street, serenading the boy like the amateur radios did coming out of those sketchy ice cream trucks I used to run and chase after when I was a little kid. And psh, the boy runs away, just like that. He books it toward the guitarist. Me and Manuel Carriotto Perez watch him run so fast and free past the back of his mother and almost knock over a seniored couple picking up fallen flowers. And that boy never looked back. It was like he already knew this route somehow. Dodging one cyclist ringing their bell at a group of tourists taking terrible selfies with savory empanadas and right up to the dirty kneecaps of that musician in the bottom of his guitar. The guitarist never stopped playing. He never stopped singing. He never stopped walking, not once. He was in no rush. And not like someone who knew they had all the time in the world, but like someone who had lost too much time. Someone who knew time was fragile and could be snatched away. And there he was, just gently plucking at the strings of his guitar, the same way his tongue was plucking at the two teeth hanging out of his mouth. And he played one song. One song. And not just one song. One refrain from that one song. It was an incomprehensible melody with his hands and with his tongue but it filled the air. It was sticky and beautiful. It got stuck in Manuel's mustache. It got stuck in the hips of those flamenco dancers painted next to him. It got stuck in my own head to the point that it eventually went down my throat with the last sip of my coffee, just like the guitarist's rolling R's. And the sound not even so much as the sight of his dark and rubbery skin, was infused and incensed with the sofrito and adobo spices of my childhood. It reminded me of the gentleness of classical Spanish guitar music my friend Carlos would play when he practiced. In those days, long after secret jails were made to hold prisoners, Long after Manuel Carriotto Perez was born, Carlos would rock me and soothe me to sleep under the Florida sun. And I swear everything Carlos played, everything, simple songs for, for worship, clumsy songs, and they were clumsy songs for crushes, songs just because. No matter the tune, no matter the melody, no matter the refrain, were textured with grace. The sun was different in Spain, no doubt. The food, the sounds, they intersected and deviated at points, but the whole of it walked toward me in familiarity and freedom. So there I am, right? I'm watching the guitarist who came from who knows where, and the boy 
who escaped his mother walk together. And that's, that's when the boy did the trick again. He stretched out his arm like a tree limb. He showed the guitarist his balled-up fist, and he let it hang there mid-air, mid-stride, like a traveling magician selling their trick. And that's when the guitarist, like I tried to do, moved his hand towards the boy's hand, but not to fist bump. The guitarist used a finger like a wand between plucks and tapped on the boy's knuckles once, one tap. And as soon as the guitarist touched the boy's flesh, his fist flowered opened and flattened. I remember thinking, oh, but the truth is, I didn't expect anything to be inside the boy's hand. So when he opened his hand and nothing was there, I just kept smiling. It was cute, innocent. They were making magic. One duped pigeon flew over to the two of them expecting bread. But that's when the trick changed. The boy used his other hand, reached down into the open palm of his hand and pulled out some invisible object. He pinched it with his two fingers like you would with loose hair. And then he held it up into the blue sky, held it up to the guitarist who made a wow face to the boy. Wow. Then the guitarist's face changed. It was a part of the game. He looked concerned all of a sudden. His eyes started to move about. Apparently, there was something there after all. And whatever it was had gotten out. The guitarist and the boy both knew that it had escaped. They were playing a game the two of them had clearly played before and were playing again now. They were friends. This was their home. They shared something I I tried to translate. Whatever it was, was flying. Whatever it was, was fluttering about. Whatever it was, was now fugitive and both their eyes could see it. And so the boy is running and chasing and trying to grab at it. Something was dancing around them and the boy had a hard time catching it again. And I paid attention as the rule became very clear. One rule, only the guitarist could grab it. But only after it went into the guitarist's ear and out of the guitarist's mouth and then it spun around a few times around his neck and then went between his legs until it finally landed back in the boy's hand. And that's when the game, well, the game ended. The boy held the invisible thing in his open hands, petted it, and then released it for good. The boy reached into his pocket and pretended to give the guitarist some loose change. And the guitarist tipped an invisible cap in gratitude, signaling a goodbye. Smiling between his song, revealing a third tooth hiding under his lower lip as if it was hiding there on purpose. The boy ran back to his mother 
and the guitarist eventually rounded the corner and sat down next to a ceramic shop. I couldn't help but think how he laid there like a fugitive, content to rest in the open air, content to be and to be free. Though his music eventually blended in with the noise of the crowd, he kept playing his song, adding to the world's symphony. My friend Carlos once said something like this to me. Practice is the invisible work you do so you can play more freely in the moment. Practicing sets your hands free. I imagined a frame around the guitarist's body, like Manuel Carrieto Perez, and imagined what could be written. Guitarist of Triana Market. He is the local pigeon who lives off a little music and a little bread, often duped. Now I don't know all the history, and Manuel's smile could be sinister, but in the reflection of the guitar was the silhouette of a thousand prisoners breaking out of him like every prisoner the castle of St. Jorge tried to remember. He played his tongue dry and his fingers into dirty calluses because he was also a defender of sorts. He paced up and down those streets playing music and games to keep alive magic, the invisible things we forget or lock up or can't see waiting to fly, the things that set us all free. He walked the streets because it was his duty. Slanting teeth, hands like jails, duped birds, practice, the fragility of the colors pink and orange peeling off the bodega. The last thing I remember was humming the guitarist song. It was still stuck in my head until I lost it, until I noticed just how much my mouth hurt. It had been fixed into a handlebar smile without ever once flattening. Subscribe and follow That Free Lunch on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That Free Lunch is a community of people who come from many places, embody different backgrounds, hold varying opinions, and find ourselves on unique spiritual journeys. We are misfit wanderers, students and professionals, creatives, theologians, and dreamers. We dare to dream of a world where those on the margins are central to our grand narratives and cultural imaginations. Welcome to neighbors, strangers, and friends. Welcome to siblings, to single people and partnered people, to married people and divorced people. Welcome to people of all countries, all colors, all cultures, and all classes. Welcome to people of all genders, all gender expressions, all sexual orientations and identities. Welcome to those of all abilities, 
those with mental or physical illnesses, those who struggle with and are impacted by addiction. Welcome to all those whose identities are complex and who long for their stories of joy, sadness, fear, grief, gratitude, doubt, faith, or peace to be heard and held. You are welcome to join with us as we work to create a space where everyone who enters in knows you are safe here. You are worthy of love and belonging. Welcome. All right, Grant. So we're doing a podcast. I guess we are. Why are we doing a podcast, Grant? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, obviously, whenever you start a project like this, you spend a good amount of time thinking about like what it is and like why you're doing it. And so I guess for me in that in that process, a big part of it has been obviously a lot of things have changed in the last week or so, especially for those of us living in Paris. We're in confinement and we can't I mean, we can go on walks within 500 meters. But other than that, we can't really be out. So kind of for me, it was an opportunity to highlight some stories either from our own lives or from other people that might be helpful to people right now. There's stories of hope. There's stories that are all about what does it mean to be human? And some of it is just in real simplicity that we're finding joy and we're finding meaning. And I think that this season especially invites us to do that uh, in a particular way. So this podcast is really an outgrowth of that and the desire to do that. Well, and that's, I think I'm in the same, in the same boat. You mentioned confinement and you mentioned there's sort of simplicity. And I think part of the podcast, I, I feel like, is we're doing it because we can and because it's, I would like to think, something that can be helpful for people to have stories available to them, to listen to stories and stories that create opportunities to think about the way our own lives move physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Uh, through mundane things and through confinement. I think that's that word, is it keeps coming back to me that we're free to do this. And often, especially in places of confinement, where we're thinking about what we can't do and, and, and there's a way in which even conceptually freedom is, is changing the thought process and imagining what we're free to do or what we're free to experience, um, which is hard when you just have a sort of mundane sort of or a monotony or a familiar thing like washing the dishes or being in a tiny close quarters. Can you find something imaginative? Is there magic Mm. in the mundane? Uh, And I think that's part of why the podcast for me feels fresh. It feels timely. And I'm hoping it's something that creates connection between people who can't have physical connection right now. Yeah, I mean, that makes me think of a blog post that I I wrote earlier this week where I was kind of reflecting on the fact that for those of us that are Christians, it's the season of Lent and how like Lent asks us to give things up. And there's been a lot of like memes going around the internet like, I didn't think I was going to give up this much for Lent. <laughs> uh, but seriously, and how that actually... It, if we can, we have an opportunity, I guess, to use the uniqueness of this moment to like things are already being taken away from us. So like, what can we step into that right. we wouldn't have had time for otherwise? Like, what are the practices that we know we've been missing that we can introduce now that we have this different form of freedom? Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit 
of juxtaposition there. <laughs> that confinement could lead to freedom. And how do we pay attention? Right. And how do we how do we pay attention to the things that have always maybe been there mm-hmm. and that we've overlooked or taken for granted or abused or have not seized, you know, these moments. Mm-hmm. I think I think what's bubbling to the surface is is all the little things that maybe spark so much more than we could have imagined before. And there's a, a sense of uh, lostness and all the sense of longing mm-hmm. that like post post whatever this is, whenever that is, whenever that time frame is, whatever that marker is, that there will be change and appreciation and hopefully new ways of connecting with one another and differently that doesn't come in the aftermath of a consequence of a pandemic, <laughs> you know, that it hopefully won't take something like that to make us as an example, you know, applaud, you know, nurses and doctors <laughs> at seven thirty every night or, you know, a dance party at eight o'clock at night or, saying hello to your neighbor that you've lived next to for so long that it won't take those things to to connect and to see how it is that each and every one of us is a precious creature in this world. What do you bring into lunch is a segment where we share highlights, resources, random facts, or anything else on our mind. So Grant, what do you bring into lunch? I got a good one today. Okay. Uh, it's going to be delicious. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, it's a, uh, a website that my friend made as part of a class they were teaching at Princeton Seminary. Their name is Lindsay Jodry, and the website's called wordmadequeer.com, and it's basically a set of resources for Christians who want to know more about what the intersections of queer identity and faith are. Uh, so there's art that were made by their students. There's book reviews of a lot of popular Christian books on the topic. There's stories from individuals in the class. And then there's just basic information about what does it mean to be affirming? What does it mean to be queer? What about these Bible passages that are used problematically? And just a lot of stuff on here. So I just encourage you to go to wordmadequeer.com and check it out. So Victor, what are you bringing for lunch today? I'm bringing... A Netflix TV show, A Hundred Humans, Life's Questions Answered. And I'm not even quite sure how to describe the show. It's a reality show where they got, I'm going to assume, some very wonderful human beings who had a lot of spare time to just be experimented on, but that's literally what it is. It's like eight to ten episodes on them going through scientific experimentation where they're asking life questions. There's one episode where it's what makes us attractive. Another one, what's the best age to be alive. Another one, uh, what makes us happy. And then they, you know, they go through these experiments and you get to watch them. But it is, it is quite fascinating, uh, sort of the expectations from the scientists and their comedians. So this is like a family-friendly, lighthearted. You could put it on in the background. You don't really have to pay attention to it. But there's a few uh, there's a few instances that that made me laugh and smile and reminded me again of some of the questions that we are all asking. And so it's kind of cool to see it in a reality TV show that's also not super manipulated <laughs> for like any type of like major point. But if you're bored, which some of you might be right now, and you're looking for another TV show to watch, uh, you should check it out. A hundred humans, life's questions answered. 
hashtag maybe not answered. <laughs> and that's not a spoiler alert. It's just, you know, it is what it is. That's what I got. It's gonna be all right. Yeah. How can you tell? Hi, I'm Jessica from Canada, and you have been listening to That Free Lunch, presented by the Catacombs Project in Paris, France. Special thanks to Kingston United Methodist Church for letting us adapt their welcome statement. Thanks to the American Church in Paris. And thanks for listening. <laughs>